Welcome to the round 16 Supercoach Coach Podcast. I'm with FB Donkey. Welcome back to the show. G'day, mate. We are both up and about this week after a very positive Supercoach weekend. Woo! My round 15 rank, 218th overall. Very excited about that. 26-25, top score for the season for me so far. I... Did talk up the team a little bit last week, saying if they continued to do how they were set up in the first half of the season, I should be coming home strong. And so uh, I'm glad that I didn't have to eat humble pie the first week. Maybe it'll come next week. But yeah, good start post buy. It's very exciting. Clawed back uh, some of the point difference between the two of us, uh, but you're still ahead, Mark, which you'd be very happy about. Yeah. You went equally well. So it's always good when we both have big weeks. How was your score? I think equally well is not exactly how I would describe it, but very well. I did only ranked 918 for the week, so a bit disappointing compared to you, but I did jump up to 3,152, so I was about 8,000 two weeks ago. So finally, like, that's a moderately respectable ranking for the first time this year, uh, heading into round 16, (laughs) which is crazy because normally we'd sort of be hovering around this mark a lot earlier on in the season. So hopefully we can keep it up and it wasn't just a bit of a fluke. I'm confident that we've stacked our team to finish strong. So hopefully some of that early pain is going to pay off now. Let's have a quick whip around to our super coach coach leagues to see the top scorers. Funny enough, I was not even close to being the top scorer for the week. Main super coach coach group had a masses machine scoring 26, 69 around 15 rank of 41. So congratulations to Daniel. And there were three other teams ahead of me in that super coach coach group. So some huge scores in the community, our group rank halved from like 70 to 30, huge shout out, had some massive scores there. And a couple of people with big scores in the top 500. So Supercoach Potato, who's pretty active on Twitter, is in 346th off 26.47. And Michael's Power to Win uh, sitting 53rd with a 26.39. So congratulations to all those. And in our Patreon group, top score there, again, was Daniel's Masters Machines, but wanted to call out... In terms of the overall stakes, Jimmy's team, Hungry Heracross, is into the top 10, sitting eighth. Wow. So congratulations to him. Very nice. exciting to have a patron. That's currently a money finish if you can keep that up. And a tracksuit yeah. as well, don't you? If you're top 10. Oh, those KFC tracksuits are pretty fashionable. <laughs> Haven't seen someone wearing them in the street yet, but I've seen them on Twitter. That is huge. If you're top 10 at this stage of the year, that is super exciting. You start to real feel it at that stage. So we'll be keeping a very close eye on Hungry Heracross and certainly cheering him along as we head into that final straight. All right, questions for the week. Really focused around Tom Stewart. Not as highly selected as some of the other players, but still in about 25, 26% of teams. I think, Marcus, that he's probably uh, over-selected amongst our listeners, and that's 
probably one of the reasons why we in general had a good week this week. So maybe it is more relevant to some of our listeners than outside of this podcast. And a little bit sad because he did score 160. Uh, we're recording this reasonably early on Monday night. So he's facing it's the tribunal now. But it's definitely Tuesday today, sir. Sorry, <laughs> Tuesday. He's likely to be rubbed out for optimistically three games, more likely four yeah. and potentially five or more. So it's basically a trade even at three weeks, like three out of the next eight weeks is pretty hard to stomach. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Three weeks out of eight, you're probably, given he's such an important player in our teams uh, and bench cover in defense is probably not super exciting for most teams. So yeah, I think he's probably a trade. Running into finals and with Geelong just moving up the ladder, it'd be a bit tricky as a cat supporter because they do seem to struggle without Tom Stewart. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with them. But yeah, the incident was bad. He knew it was bad. It was like off the ball and he would well and truly deserve four weeks, I'd say. Uh, we did have a few questions around you know, how many weeks for a trade out. And basically to best calculate that you work out the difference between a premium scorer and the rookie you have on field. So if you can rely on the 60 and you'd be able to trade to a premium that's scoring 110, that's 50 points per round, 150 points, a, a minimum case being three rounds. And so at this stage of the season, trades are worth less than at the start of the season. And 150 points is probably enough to warrant a trade at this stage is trying to get 150 points from the remaining eight rounds means that you would have to have an upgrade worth at least 20 points. And that's generally larger than the difference between premiums and ultra premiums on most lines. So I guess it does depend on whether you have, how many trades you have. So if you have two or one trades left, if I'm at one or two trades with eight weeks left, I'm only using them to cover donuts. That's a good call out. I forgot that some people might be in that situation. How many trades would you need to be happy to trade him this week? Yeah, four for sure. Three's closer. Three, I think you probably yeah. trade him and then potentially regret it. But four, I think you can fairly comfortably make that trade. And it depends on the number of weeks. So if it's getting to four or five weeks, then he's just got to go. We did also get a question from one of our patrons, JB. Would that change at all if you were just caring about your league and you were comfortably going to make finals? Mm, that's real tricky. So if you are really comfortable make, you're going to make finals and you literally only care about your league, then it probably does make a difference. You'd really, you, I mean, you have to finish top four in finals. You really want to have that sewn up, which some of our listeners might because they listen to this show and they'd be good at Supercoach. But yes, it would change me my thoughts a little bit because having Stuart in the finals could be pretty important. All right, we'll move on to who to actually trade him to now. And we'll start off with the first scenario from Daniel, one of our patrons. Who would you pick if you had no restrictions on the funds? Uh, if I'm looking for one player, there's one player in defense that is super hot at the moment and has a really nice draw on the one run home. And we both have him, Marcus, which is Jordan Dawson. So uh, if you didn't have him, I think he would be my number one. I know Sicily has been scoring really well over the course of the year and looked like he was going to average 120 at one stage. But I'd have Dawson ahead of Sicily, but Sicily probably the second if money was no issue. What about you? Yeah, I think that's a good call. Brought him in last week for a reason. 
122 is his five round average. I think if you extend that to seven rounds, he's still at about the 120 mark. That's ultra premium numbers. So to get that in the back line with the run that he still has to come, Melbourne, Hawthorne, Collingwood, Sydney, Carlton, West Coast, North, Port Adelaide. I think he's very clearly the number one target at this stage. The other factor, sorry. So the other factor with Sicily is his scoring dropped off a little bit recently and it may have something to do with CJ being in the team. So with CJ in the team, Sicily's average is 99.8. With CJ out of the team, Sicily's average is 125. So just having that extra option coming out of defense for the Hawks does seem to affect Sicily's scoring. Run-wise, uh, he also has West Coast and North, uh, but because he plays a bit more of a true defensive role, I think a friendly run suits somebody who pushes further up the ground. Dawson does play, get a bit of time pushing up onto the wings, uh, then more of a true defender where if they aren't entering the D50, you do sometimes end up in situations where your team does so well that a defender doesn't score as well. So I think that's probably another factor. But Sicily has got to be pretty close in behind Dawson. Why don't we get to those other guys then? I think the ones right up there in terms of current average would be Sinclair, Doherty, and of course Hewitt. Sinclair's been tagged a couple of games in a row, which is certainly a little bit concerning. Jack Steele is back as well, though he does play more of a traditional halfback spot than pushing into the midfield, so it shouldn't be a huge impact. Can I just address uh, but, that, Marcus? So Sinclair's average with Steele in the side, 104. Sinclair's average without Steele in the side, 125. So it actually has proven to be a huge difference in... Whether that's a sampling error, which it can be over a small amount of games because he's only missed four games still, but that 20 points is a big difference. So you would potentially put it down to Steele's impact? I'm not sure that that's like the number one impact, but I did get the impression very quickly as soon as Steele was out that Sinclair was probably getting a bit more ball up the ground and Sinclair was scoring better with Steele out and, and the stats. Could it be that... In those four games, they played Adelaide, North Melbourne, Essendon, and Brisbane. Why would that affect it? Adelaide, North, and Essendon have been giving up probably abnormal size of the pies compared to other teams. And Brisbane haven't, but I mean, like the Essendon game, Sinclair only scored 105 and copped a tag, so that didn't inflate it too much. And the Brisbane game, he scored scored 118 against against Brisbane. Yeah. So yeah. So thing. basically it's the 138 and the 140 Adelaide and North Melbourne that, that are propping up those scores. Yeah. That could be a factor as well. I, th- I guess the tricky bit is that Sinclair has been tagged the last two weeks and what's happened to St. Kilda. On the run the home, songs. they've still got Carlton, Frio, Bulldogs, Brisbane and Sydney and Geelong. So six of their next eight are reasonably tough there. I don't want to talk Sinclair down too much because he's definitely in the frame for me because I already have Dawson and Sicily. I definitely strongly considering Sinclair. It's just tricky that Steele's come back, his draw's tricky, and he's been tagged two weeks in a row, which has had a big effect on the result of the game, potentially. There are definitely some concerns there. I think Doherty's moved ahead of Sinclair for mine after the last couple of weeks of being tagged. So Doherty hasn't destroyed the last two weeks, has he? 
no, 128 and then a 91, but he's still the fourth highest averaging defender. Like he's actually averaging ahead of Sinclair at the moment. I don't think that's controversial to put Doherty up there. Remember the podcast about three or four weeks ago was a really interesting decision between Doherty and Sinclair when Doherty was about 50k cheaper. So that was a bit of a sliding doors moment then. And yeah, Doherty has only gone under a hundred four times this year. And one of them, he got a head knock early in the game. And, and even he's under a hundred, it's been 86, 91 and 91 and unlikely to get tagged. Carlton have a reasonably friendly draw. All of their defenders are injured. I'm not sure whether that's necessarily a great thing for Doherty, but he doesn't have like a Zach Williams competing for points at this stage of the year. Yeah. I'd have Doherty ahead of Sinclair at this stage. So he'd be third player to come in after Dawson, Sicily then Doherty, then Sinclair out of, out of the more expensive players. I know we might discuss some cheaper guys. I think I agree with that. My only sort of concern at the moment is, and this is just probably recency bias, but you know, the three round average from Sicily being a hundred isn't the, that good. That's is a bit concerning. And like you said, the fact that CJ's return has coincided with that is certainly raising a few eyebrows. But just looking at his scores from the year, he went on a ridiculous run uh, up until the, the past three rounds. Now, the cheap guy you referenced is Aaron Hall. And we did get a question from Michael Murphy about him being potentially a top six defender for the rest of the season. What do you reckon about Hall taking one of the spots from those guys? Because on last year's form especially once he moved into that lucrative role. He was basically the number one defender on the run home, wasn't he? Uh, yeah, I don't think that the defensive ceiling was quite as high last year, but yeah, from memory he was. But wasn't he available as a forward last year? But yeah, playing as a defender. Yeah, he didn't have oh, those huge games last year. Like he posted a 150 on the weekend. He didn't actually post a 150 for all of last year, but did post very, very consistent, really good scores. Yeah, I think it was one of the highest ever, like top five meters gained, or was it the number one meters gained game of all time? Move the ball one kilometer over the course of the game. Decent. Yeah, it's bananas. So Hall is heaps, heaps cheaper. So if cash is an issue, we're actually talking about like a, a 70, 80, 90K difference from the top guys. So that's when potentially you do look for a saving because that could actually make a huge difference on a later upgrade or potentially you could even use that money elsewhere in your team to make an upgrade. So that discount actually does come into a factor here. On pure scoring, where do you have him with those other top four? Dawson, Sisley, and then Hall probably. Okay. Now I'd pick him ahead of Doherty, I think, at this stage. Yeah, I'd have him pretty close to Doherty. It depends how much risk you want to take in your team, right? Because he's going to be fairly unique uh, on the run home because it's post-upgrade period and he's just come back into the team and not everyone has Stuart and not everyone's going to take the whole risk. So he's going to be pretty unique and he has a huge upside. So he is a player who could have a big impact on your Supercoach season in both directions, I guess. He could average 115 as long as he doesn't get injured. But yeah, I think he's done two hammies this year. He did one prior to the season and that did actually end up playing round one but missed like all the preseason and then did another one in what round five this year and missed a whole chunk of the game. So that is concerning, right? Yeah. But from this point last year, so from round 16 to round 23 last year, Hall scored 
a low of 110 and a high of 139. And just off looking at the numbers without doing the exact averages, it is 120 plus. Okay. So we've talked about his scoring. We know his scoring can be really good and, and he's up there amongst the top scorers on the run home, potentially with CJ in the side ahead of actual Sicily with scoring and matching Dawson, potentially it's that there's an injury risk here that is not necessarily present with those other guys. I agree with the injury risk. I just think like in terms of comparing his upside to a Doherty assist, like he's in terms of upside, raw upside, he's basically up there with Tom Stewart, I think. And there are people that picked him at the start of the season based on that. I guess the question is, are you happy running the risk on Hall considering it's an eight week stint? Because starting him and hoping that he lasts 23 is a little bit different from him coming back from a soft tissue injury and then doing that for the remainder of the year. Uh, it just felt like we took a similar risk last year. Right? He wasn't any less injury prone last year. But remember the narrative around him was like, oh, no, no, things have changed. Like he was actually out through a few other collision-based injuries, but it's not really a soft tissues that are a huge problem now. And then he ended up playing out the year. It was pretty defining pick for those that picked him. I guess he has done the hammy, and so the chance of reoccurrence potentially is higher, but there's not a heap of players that go out for two hamstring stints in a season, are there? There are, and I guess um, it depends on the perception of Hall a little bit and whether that perception that you said changed last year was completely right or whether he actually is a bit injury prone. And the fact that he did do a hammy in the preseason and then has done it again means that like he's already missed parts of the season, even not, even if it's not games in two different stints. But the risk is significantly less for eight games. I guess that the counter to that is we're also running out of trades. And so we have less of a backup plan if things do go awry. If you compare him to, let's say, Doherty, if Hall can average 120 and if Doherty can keep up 115, a five-point per game difference in the remaining eight rounds is 40 points. So you sh we should probably be factoring in the injury risk far more significantly than the potential of a five-point upside, even though the upside can seem pretty large. I think the, the challenge is like, Uncity has also done soft tissue injuries in the past, right? Like we've had Doherty where he's been. Player. No, but like he's also done calf injuries and stuff in the past. So yeah. I don't think that, you know, we're comparing two completely injury-free players. Like Sicily's potentially a different kettle of fish. He hasn't been suspended yet this round, but his injury risk is less soft tissue related compared to these two players. Yeah, so if, it's, if it was a pure 40 points, you'd say it's probably not worth it um, because the injury risk is significant. He's got a really guaranteed role. The ball's going to be in the North Melbourne defense a lot. He comes at a discounted price. So there's a lot of reasons why Aaron Hall is a reliable, good pick from a scoring potential. Because I've already got Dawson and Sicily, the temptation is very strong to take Hall over a Doherty Sinclair type. Yeah, I'm almost definitely going to take Hall. I mean, I was considering him as a risk over Dawson last week because I was so greedy for that price differential. It would have allowed me to hit Jackson, for example. Um, and that's something that 
is worth mentioning, right? Like the difference between Doherty and Hall is such that if Hall gets injured compared to if Doherty gets injured, if he slides 20, 30K in price because of a poor score in that round, you have 70K yeah. where you can use to hopefully hit another top line premium versus take a compromised option. Like 70K is a reasonable difference in terms of the options that are available to use. Even though I don't have a direct use for the 70K next week, yeah. Just in preparation of having more cash for my f- next injury trade so that I don't have to do one down, one up. And I, my four remaining trades, I could hopefully use all genuinely for four injuries versus three plus one downgrade. I'm going to be looking at Hall with 80K up my sleeve versus Doherty with 6K. If you've got a couple of extra trades, like you could actually do Hall and then upgrade Petrarca to steal or someone like that, or Merritt to steal, or one of your underperformers up to Jack Steele, who is a bargain in the midfield this week. So hopefully that's given you all a little bit to decide between in terms of the top scoring options. I don't think any of them are going to work out badly. We're probably finicking over quite a negligible points difference. I think the main thing I've coming out of this conversation is that the injury risk is real so you probably do have to factor that in and the 70k can make a bit of a difference there and potentially that might be a reason to take a Sinclair or a Sisley even over a Doherty at this stage. I think that for me uniqueness plus upside makes me probably lean into the hall camp. I know you're very strongly in the hall camp. I'm probably still weighing up a Doherty versus Hall situation, but Doherty's in 30% of teams. You would hope that Hall would be in a lot less than that after this week. So he's in 1.7 at the moment. He might get up to 10%. If you can get a player that's only in 10% of teams and he actually really comes off, that could make a big difference on the run rate. Awesome. All right. Onto some uh, more bargain basement candidates. So this would be presumably if you still needed to do an actual upgrade elsewhere. Uh, we had John Nicholson, one of our patrons, asking about Whitfield or Lloyd. So if that's the question, I think for me, it's easily Whitfield. Lloyd had one good game, but he just, I don't think that role is his anymore. Whereas Whitfield, uh, he's, he's said that he's got an ankle problem. It's probably going to require surgery at the end of the year. That is definitely a big concern because he has shown propensity to miss games in the past. But just the fact that he has scored 300s in a row since playing for his new coach. And we've seen with Canelio, like, the role changes totally changed his scoring. We're potentially seeing the Whitfield that we picked at the start of the year in our teams now, uh, and he's only 460k. So if you're going for a bargain option, I do think that Whitfield is probably the guy. He's definitely a much better point scorer on the wing uh, and underneath this new coach. The challenge is definitely... I don't think his upside is as close to 110-115, even though... He's averaged 107 across the last three games. Those include North Melbourne, which helps to prop up the score a little bit. I don't see him necessarily keeping a, a 107 average on the run home. It's only a 30K price difference between him and Hall, though. So given the choice between the two with the known injury concerns around Whitfield, I'd probably take Hall over him. I think it's closer to 50K. Uh, we're really talking an option, whereas Hall I would have ahead of Whitfield. I completely agree. But that 50K might be really important if you're going for a cheap option and trying to use that money to make your final upgrade or something. That's a good call. Uh, Lloyd's at 463. 
very similarly priced to Whitfield. But yeah, definitely agree. I'd take Whitfield over Lloyd, which is surprising considering he did say only a couple of weeks ago he's probably going to need to have surgery. I mean, it does make me feel a little bit better about starting him <laughs> this season. There was two issues, right? So he, he was actually injured and his coach, which was obvious in the first few weeks, his coach was playing him out of position as well. Uh, and even even in those early weeks, he was actually getting the possessions. He just wasn't converting it into super coach scores. So, yeah, I do think that Whitfield is a decent player to be bringing in this week if you need someone a bit cheaper. And I think we've probably discussed the standout options. There's other players in those price ranges. Pendlebury's mega cheap at the moment. You've got Blastuin, who's been scoring really, really well this year, 488. But I really think that limiting the options to the probably the players that we've discussed is how I would be t- tackling it. All right, let's move to the rookies just to round out the show. Uh, D'Ambrosio's on the bubble this week, so I just want to call that out. 102K available on the back line. And Rhett Bazo, def forward, DPP at 117K for West Coast, also available. D'Ambrosio seems all right. When he gets the ball in hand, he's looked really good. I think the Bombers will want to get games into him. Bazo hasn't done enough to impress me so far, so options are definitely pretty limited, but I guess you've got to take players... If they're available, um, you just got to take a playing body if you can, um, because I've seen a lot of teams with Elijah Hollands, who has been potentially knocking on the door of the Gold Coast team, but uh, hasn't actually been able to get a debut yet, and we're not sure when that's going to happen. So I'm pretty much an advocate for warm bodies, and if you can get a warm body with DPP, then that's an even bigger advantage. Awesome. And with that, we'll wrap up the show and jump to some bonus content for our patrons. Thanks, Mark, for a good show. Uh, it's nice when we're both coming on in good spirits off big score. All the best to our community this week. Any final messages for the team? If Marcus complains that I'm copying his team by bringing in Hall, not true. <laughs> I think he is probably the obvious option this week. So, yeah, he can't claim that. Just while I've got you, shout out to CJ, who I am one point in front of in the total rankings. CJ from the podcast last week. So I'm pretty happy to be ahead. I thought the final shout-out would actually go to Tom. Yeah, my uh, eight-year-old, he did try and play a bit last year, but he's been playing a little bit more this year and talking through the players and trying to get some selections. He uh, had a top 50 finish in the round this week. So that got him a bit more interested. He's not super into sports, but he's just he's been kicking the footy a fair bit in the last few weeks and getting a bit more into it. So that was nice. It's always good to have a win or do something really cool because... Um, uh, I'd get you more interested in sports and he's beating his brother. So that's helpful. Good on you, Tom. And, uh, with that, we'll sign off for the week. See ya. See ya.